continue. There we go. Good evening. Um, and welcome to the Accidental Journalist Live and Undrugged episode five uh, with Chantel Page. Uh, tonight's episode is sponsored by Darren Barden and his book, Let's Skip to the Good Bits. Um, it's a fantastic book and it's a, a, a great book about a survival story um, that kind of ties in with tonight's um, uh, interview. Uh, so I'm just going to open it up now and uh, thanks for coming on, Chantel. Um, uh, yeah, it, um, so tell me a little bit about before you met your partner and how that came about. Um, I met him in um, a bar in, um, in Newcastle in the big market. Um, I was in my early 20s when I met him. Um, and he was like 19 years older than me. It's quite a, a big age difference. But I've, I've always went for older men anyway. It's just the way I, <laughs> the way I am. Um, so we hit it off um, quite quickly, really. We um, got engaged within probably a month of being together and um, moved in together as well. Wow. So kind of like very quick but when we did things, we kind of fell in love very, very quickly. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, we soulmate. Um, we we were just together and he did everything for us and he brought my daughter up as well from being a baby from being one years old right okay so how is your daughter she's 15 now but she she only ever knew Simon as a dad mm. he was very young when he come into to our lives so he mm. took her on as his own and he was really good with her okay she, so devastated after what's happened she's got behavioral problems and she started drinking vodka and stuff and the police brought her back and stealing wine out of the house because she just wanted to just like drink to take the pain away and stuff yeah adults find it hard to Pilots, so no, never mind children. You know, it's adults have ways of dealing with it. Children have their ways of dealing with it, and unfortunately, that reflects in behaviour. Yeah, I, find. I kind of just kept myself busy, um, just to help cope with it. So I was doing my act, and I used to just travel to Essex to do Mother's Child because I was the lead actress in it. So it kind yeah. of helped us just keeping busy doing that. So it helped to just take my mind off it really. Otherwise, if I had a sat in the house where we we lived together in this house for six years, it just there were so many memories. I just couldn't stand it just being there. Okay, so I know this is gonna be hard, but can you take me back to um the day it happened and what happened? Well, me and Simon had um arranged to go to um to York to meet some friends from um, they were from Newcastle and one of them he'd known for, for 40 years he, a really good friend and um, his friend Barry who was originally from Newcastle but they live in um, workshop now um, so we met up with them 
um, got the train about nine o'clock in the morning and Simon's friend Carl had dropped us off and used Simon's brand new Volkswagen van and um, because he was supposed to be doing the wheels that afternoon for Simon just doing the van up anyway and he dropped us off uh, so we went drinking with our friends stayed there till about six o'clock got the train back home um, Carl picked us up from the train station and um, I could hear Carl talking like in the van like he was just saying, um, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go out um, after I drop you off. And um, Simon says, oh, well, I'll come with you because I've got to go and get some mixers because he was going to watch the boxing. And we were celebrating because the day before he ha we, we had just got a, a mortgage on a house um, and it had went through. So we were kind of celebrating. But I, I wasn't feeling very well, so I went to bed. I hadn't eaten all day, so I felt a bit sick off the alcohol. So I went to bed um, and I never got back up because he got his takeaway and he was shouting, come downstairs for this takeaway. I'm going to feed it to the dog. And I was just like, I'll be down in five minutes. And I never went back downstairs and I didn't even know Simon had mm. went out. I thought he was still downstairs because I could hear the boxing in the living room. Mm. And his phone was upstairs um, and it kept ringing. So I didn't really think. I thought he was in the house and his phone was on charge, but he, mm. he had went back out anyway with his friend and and that's obviously when it when it's happened. Right, okay. So um do you know what happened? Well, what happened was um Carl, Simon's friend, um had arranged to do a drug deal with um, a friend of his called Kirk Guy, who he'd known since he was three years old. He grew up with him, and um, he said to Simon, "Oh, he parked the van in this little mini little car park in Chadderston, in Derby. Um, it's just it's about ten minutes from Derby City Centre. Um, and just said to Simon, oh, I need the toilet. I'm just going to go around the corner to use the toilet.' But Simon was drunk, so he didn't really think anything of it. And but he took the van keys with him, which was strange as well. So he went off, took the van keys." said he was going to use the toilet and apparently um he was going to do a drug deal and he got robbed so they took the drugs off him um in simon's van he threw simon's van keys and they pulled out a, a rambo style hunting knife on carl but carl ran off and um he says he tried to divert them away from the van that simon was sat in but he didn't, he just saved himself and left Simon to get murdered. So they went to the van, obviously going to steal this van, because I mean, it was like a, it was a 19 plate van. It was probably worth maybe about 35 grand. So they were going to obviously go to steal that and they didn't expect anyone to be in it. So Simon sat in the, the van, oblivious to what's going on and they stabbed him um, in the, the left leg twice and then the right leg hit a main artery. So um, he'd obviously put up a fight because he was had beaten him up as well. Mm. So he must have put up a fight and he lived for 45 minutes even though they hit a main artery because he was in the RBF. So he obviously knew the skills of being in the army on how to kind of just stop, try and stop the bleeding and stuff. So he, he, he tried to get help, Simon, and there was this um, man in... in 
who's who heard like somebody shouting help and they thought it was like somebody trying to burgle the house but it was like a man and son and um he was shouting help and they come and they tried to resuscitate Simon he collapsed on on the door step and tried to save his life Carl come back and the witnesses who tried to save Simon says he was acting all delirious and like like just in shock and then he ran off again but he told Carl told me that he'd went to help Simon but he never ever did it was all lies telling us that he come to my house that night telling us that Simon had been stabbed in the in the um in the back but it just it just wasn't the case at all it was just all like crocodile tears and lies that come out of his mouth and um that night um his wife kept ringing us and I just thought, oh, it'll be nothing. I'll just go back to sleep. And then I heard a car racing on the drive about five minutes later. And it was his, it was Carl's wife saying, oh, you've got to come with me um, to the hospital. Simon's been stabbed, but it's just a scratch. It's nothing to worry about. So I'm upstairs trying to find some clothes, running up the stairs. Um, didn't know what I was doing because I was just totally like shocked. And I was just, didn't know what, whether to believe it was just because when somebody gets stabbed it's normally serious so I thought maybe she's just saying it to make us feel better but within five minutes of her come at the door the police turns up and says you have to come with us now and um, it's serious Simon's been stabbed and it's very very serious and um, so they put the sirens on took us to the hospital with the sirens on in the police car and I knew I just knew I had this good feeling before I got there, I just thought he's gone. He's definitely gone because they're trying to get me here quick. Do you know? They're trying to get me to this hospital quick. They only put the sirens on, but it's serious. So um, I got taken into a, a side room when I got there. I waited for what felt like forever. And then a doctor came in the in the waiting, in the waiting area, what the room I was in, and just as all. We tried everything we could. Um, we lost far too much blood. There was nothing we could kind of do to save him. We couldn't do anything to save him. Um, so he died um, later on in hospital. Um, so like two days later, I went to see Simon in the morgue, which was very, it was very heartbreaking because he was just, I didn't realise at the time he'd been beaten up, you see. So to see him like with his eye all closed and, he had like a footprint on his head where he'd been kicked in the head and, and all this. And um, even his um, daughter, Keely, couldn't, she couldn't go, she couldn't look at him. She just burst into tears. But I had to say goodbye to him because I didn't get to say goodbye to him when he was dying. So I just kissed him on the forehead and told him I'd always love him and one day we'd be together again. And just, just that because I had to do it. I had to do it for me and my daughter. And then it took forever for the funeral because they had to keep a hold of Simon's body to do a couple of post-mortems and stuff. So it took about two months before we could actually have the funeral. So it was it was hard. It was really hard. But um, all his football friends, because uh, he was a big Newcastle fan and England fan, they all raised £10,000 for his funeral, paid for his funeral. And one of his friends got a tattoo dedicated to Simon, like Simon's face on his leg. Um, he was so loved and everybody that he met 
thought he was amazing. He, he had friends from Russia, uh, all over the country, just everywhere. Every everyone he met at the football, just he would that become a lifetime friend, and he would still speak to them. Like even after just meeting them once, they would swap numbers and he'd stay in touch with them and then add them on Facebook and stuff. And he met a lot of close friends through the football. So the the, the St. James's Park put Simon in the football programme when he died because he was a season ticket holder. And he was in the paper a few times just to, in the Chronicle just to say that what a big fan he was and how tragic it was when he died and stuff. So yeah, it was it was hard. And then when it come to going to court, um, I never went to all the. It was it was too hard for me because they were laughing. The killers were laughing. They thought it was just like a day out to them. They thought it was funny. And the judge was watching everything they were doing, and they tried to um, plead not not guilty. But the evidence was stacked up against them, and Carl had told them the police everything. Um, uh, they got like um twenty. The murderer got twenty five years. Kirk guy set up the killing. He got twenty years, and the driver got, uh, I think it was nine years. And the two lads that cleaned the knife got five years. And Carl got um five years for for dealing seven grand worth of cocaine. But he was killed for seven grand. For for the, this cocaine seven grand, so that had nothing to do with him. But they obviously thought that Simon was like everybody. Um, sent there's a lot of hate saying, "Oh, your partner was a drug dealer and all this." But Simon's fingerprints were never found on the drugs. So Carl, all Carl's fingerprints were found on the bag that the drugs were in, and Simon's name was cleared. But Mood still six, doesn't it? And because all the papers were saying it was a drug deal gone wrong, everyone just believes believes it because people can be nasty. But I think it was a killer's family. A lot of them were their family that I think were being nasty because they just couldn't take the fact that their sons were in jail. So, and then um, John Williams, and um, the one that killed Simon, and. Um, he actually stabbed somebody five five years ago, a jogger. But because they used to hang around in this big gang, um, they all give him an alibi. Right. And I was talking to my liaison officer and I said, if he had been locked up for when he stabbed, stabbed somebody then, he would never have went on. Simon would still be here today because he wouldn't have went on to kill somebody. And this is what happens, isn't it? They get away with it and end up mm. killing somebody because they, they, they get away with stuff. But they were just the type of people that went robbing and stabbing people. That's what, what the gang were like. Little little druggies and smackheads. And then Kirk Guy tried to appeal his sentence. Um, I heard of Simon's daughter. And the police um, had raided this house not long back and found um, half a million pound worth of cocaine. Um, loads of money and everything, and all Kirk Guy's fingerprints were found on the on these drugs. And he was him and his brother got ten years, so he's he's now serving thirty years. Kirk Guy. So the judge la kind of laughed it out of court because he tried to appeal his sentence against mm -hmm. Simon. 
but yeah, then I got another blow a couple of well, it was about six months later when I read it in the paper. But two months after Simon died, Carl had um, got a speeding ticket for his white van, transit van. And he, even though Simon had been dead two months, he, he forged Simon's signature and said that Simon was driving the van. And I knew then that he was never, ever Simon's friend. He just, he, he, he was very sly. Um, he even tried to get the mental health team at court when he was getting sent down for the five year he got for the drugs to try and say that he was too too ill and he wasn't fit for court to try and get out of it but they knew he was lying because all the way before the trial he'd never ever uh, went to see a doctor to say he was mentally ill so because he did it just when he was going to court they thought oh he's just putting it on trying to get out of going to jail so he was hoping he was going to get sent to a mental hospital instead when he he didn't and we got justice but what really upset is the fact that he only got two months for the, the speeding ticket thing I thought he only got like eight weeks for that and it just really annoyed us because I just thought if that had been anybody else who'd done it to somebody it would have been a lot longer but I've been told he's probably a grass like he goes to the police and grasses people up so that's probably why they're, they're dead lenient with him because he tells, he, he grasped up these dealers and told the police everything. Um, and I know that um, he said that when he got caught for the speeding ticket, that he was getting death threats him and his family. So I'm just thinking, is that because he's grasped loads of people up? Um, he's probably on protection in prison. Um, I've heard that. Um, so it, it is quite... It's been quite distressing just knowing that he was never a friend and he just left him to die. Oh. So if he had a warned Simon that they were coming towards the van with a knife, Simon could have easily ran. He could have got away and ran away with Carl, but he never even warned him. Simon didn't even see it coming. So do you think Simon knew about the drugs? Did Simon know about the drugs? Nah. Nah. No, no. he didn't. He didn't. Because we'd been out all, like I say, we'd been out all day. And um, he got it. He, he Carl even told the police he got out the van to go to the, the toilet, right? And that's what he had told Simon. But then he changed his story and told the police he got out the van to do this drug deal. But he hadn't told Simon that. Simon just was oblivious to it. He, as far as Simon was concerned, he was just going out to get some mixers for his drink in the house because he had he had diabetes. He, he was diabetic, so he had right. to have low sugar, like things for like mm. you, you would have to get like diet lemonade just stuff with no sugar in because he couldn't have anything with sugar in so he, that's why and we didn't have any in the house so he went out to get it so yeah mm. uh, Carl kept changing his story with the police uh, on numerous occasions mm. so he even tried I've got all the text messages of him trying to get rid of the, dr the drugs and all the messages he sent to Guy doing this drug deal I gave all their messages obviously to the police because he was blaming Simon he was saying oh Simon did this and Simon was the one who the drugs were he even tried to throw Simon under the bus and Simon wasn't here to defend himself but like I say all the evidence was there. It was him that had set up the drug deal. It, he used his Facebook to do it. Simon had never, didn't even know these people. So this is this is what the, the problem is. We all think that 
Carl knew what was going to happen that night, that he, he knew that Simon was going to get robbed for his van. Um, but I don't think anyone was supposed to get killed. I think when they've stabbed Simon in the legs, they probably were just trying to stop him from running. Um, and then they've hit him in Artie, and that's how he's died. It's just been completely accidental, I think. I don't think they've meant to actually kill him. So this is this is how upsetting it is. Because there's people who get stabbed, like obviously in the heart or like places like the back and they survive. And I just think, how could he die of getting stabbed in the leg? But he just, he didn't stand a chance. He just, like a doctor had told us, you would have to tie your belt around the wound within two minutes to mm. stop the bleeding. Otherwise it would just bleed out. And the fact that he'd been drinking it kind of thinned his blood as well. Mm. And the fact he was diabetic, the doctor said it would have thinned his blood even more. So it was, it was hard, it was really hard. And it's 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 not something that yet you'll ever get over. Um, I still cry now, like people think I'm all right on Facebook and stuff, but I still get upset when, when it's Christmas or when Simon's birthday comes around or like Easter because that was the time he got killed on the 20th mm. of April so it was round about near Easter time so it'll be the anniversary of his death in April on the 20th of April so I've got that to contend with um suffering from post-traumatic stress uh I have nightmares seeing him lying there in the morgue um it's just it's it's very hard it really is hard and it, it, I was in denial for so long until I seen his grave, thinking he was going to come back. I kept thinking he's not dead. It, he's just working away. I used to tell myself he's going to come back. Um, and I just couldn't tell myself that he was gone for good because uh, it made it easier. And then when I finally saw his grave with his, in, in, where he's buried in Newcastle, it was just see, seeing his picture on there just made us just cry um like i was heartbroken um it's 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 just awful but me and keely had fallen out simon's daughter but we we got speaking again in um october of last year and she just says that can we be friends again my dad wouldn't want us to be fighting um he would hate for us to be fighting he would be so angry um, and then we've been we've been speaking ever since. She come round and on Christmas, just after Christmas, and give Nikki some presents and stuff, and give me a present, and I bought her a present and give our kids some money and stuff. So we are getting on better with the family. And Simon's sister and mum and dad still stay in touch because Nikki sees them as her grandparents, and they see Nikki as her grand their granddaughter. So we yeah. were quite a close family, and they've been they've been very very supportive towards us, the family, um, on Simon's side anyway. So yeah, it's been it's 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 been hard, but they've always just been a phone call away if I needed to talk to them. So it's, so yeah, and the fact that just the fact that it's getting worse, the knife crime now. I can't imagine what what people are going through. You, like, well, I can't imagine it, but when you lose a son, 
like somebody lost a 16 year old a 16 year old son on boxing day in, in nottingham which isn't it's about 40 minutes from me and he got stabbed and he died a couple of days later in hospital and i'm just I feel for the family because it's just it's happening all the time and the government don't seem to do anything about it they care more about the virus than they do about the knife crime yeah so you see so it's it's been nine months and um so not even a year and you've thrown yourself into knife crime campaigning um I'm actually an ambassador for um, Change Your Life, Put your, put the Knife Down. So yeah. I do, uh, I'm an ambassador for my area in Derby um, I, and I do that for them. And I'm I'm supposed to be boxing in, um, wait, this year, hopefully if this virus um, gets sorted out, I can go and do some boxing and raise money for, for people like victims of knife crime. That's the plan. Mm. Um, but I've got I do kickboxing anyway, so my trainer Dean Williams is gonna train us for the fight for the boxing. So I'll be fully trained and ready, ready to go really. Because mm. I wanna win. <laughs> I wanna win this fight, you see. Um and I wanna raise a lot of money to help somebody because a lot of people helped me when Simon died for fundraising. Um Rocky Torelli who who does the he does truck pulls i don't know if you've heard of him so he raised about just over three thousand pound and joe egan who's a really good friend he he raised about um i think it was about uh sixteen thousand pound eighteen thousand pound and i lost i lost a house because the house simon had took a three hundred thousand pound life insurance policy out on the the house that we had got and he didn't sign it so I lost right. I lost everything I had to go on temporary accommodation for about three months until I got the house I'm in now and it's like a new build it's just a two-bedroom but it's a, on a nice estate the houses are probably like just over a year old but lovely and I'm happy out being out of the area where I was living with Simon because it was just too many bad memories. So I had to just move away. So I live at the next village from Belba, which is in a place called Alfreton in Derbyshire. So that's where I'm I'm living now. And I'm a lot happier being here. Just not seeing all the memories and stuff. So yeah, it's 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 been very difficult having to start all over again and but I had to do it for my daughter. I had to stay strong for her, so I had to put a roof over her head mm. um, and I had to do all the house out nice which is what I used the money for and uh, one of my friends bought us a car paid £7,000 for a car for us which was really nice of him because I, I, lo- I had a Mercedes A-class and it went back to the to the lease company after Simon died so I, I didn't have a car and I had to get my daughter out of school and mm. stuff because our school was like 40 minutes from where I live. So it was like a 40 minute, 20 minutes there and 20 minutes back. So she, there was no like actual buses that went there. She would have had to get two buses mm. and she would have been late for school every day. So it was just, it was no option really. I had mm. to have a car. So yeah, it's, 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 people have been very, very, very very helpful and Joe's been like a godsend if it wasn't for him I don't know where I'd be 
he's been very very supportive and he was like Simon's best friend or like brothers and he's been like devastated by Simon's death he said he was the kindest man he'd ever met in his life and he's never had a friend like it ever like him so he's he's he still gets upset now about it saying I wish he was still here and and all that but George, George is um, he's an ambassador for change your life, put your knife down. And he, he's just opened um, a boxing club. I think the first one opened in Leeds, Joe Egan's Boxing Club in his mm. name. And he's going to be opening them all over the country. So hopefully that'll get the kids off the streets and get them into boxing and stop all these gangs and stuff. It gives them mm. something to to do if they're not bored because that's what it's down to isn't it it's boredom and just they get into the wrong crowd start drinking on the streets and then I know the people that killed Simon were on drugs that night when they killed him mm. so there was alcohol they had been drinking in the park all day and were on drugs so that probably made them a little bit more violent as well not knowing what they were doing yeah so mm. as a parent how do you um um, how, how do you deal with, with, with that with your daughter? It must um, be difficult. It's very hard. It is hard because um, I don't... I have to go everywhere in the car and when I do, I lock the doors. So I, I never, ever... Because, you know, like when you, you're sat at traffic lights and somebody could just try your door and I just like to feel safe, so I always lock the doors. Because I had an, there was an incident... Um, just after Simon died, it was like in June of 2019 where there was a road rager um, incident. Um, this Asian guy pulled a gun out on us. And um, yeah, I've never been so scared in my life, to be honest. I thought he was going to kill us. And then the police, armed police turned up and everything. And they found him, um, like just around the corner from where I was and found the gun in his car and he had to pay a thousand pound compensation. It was all over the Birmingham newspaper. So that kind of scared us as well. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Simon had been stabbed, I was always kind of looking over my shoulder and I just, I hardly ever go out now. Mm. I su- I suffer. I've got a personality disorder and it's been made worse now um, because of losing Simon. I get angry because I've, you want to get angry with the killers, but I can't because they're in prison, so I can't come face to face with them. So I take it out on other people. So I'm on I'm on medication to keep my temper at bay to keep us just on an even keel. Um, and if I didn't take it, I'd probably be a raving lunatic. So yeah, I get pip for personality disorder and for post-traumatic stress, so I'm a, like a disability, so it's not something that can be cured, it's just going to be with us for the rest of my life. PTSD is a complex thing. Yeah, it's very, they reckon it's very common, there's lots of people who've got it and they don't even know they've got it, um, but it's very hard to prove to, to um to the people who you try to get the money off because I had to appeal because three times and then when it went to court I actually won 
Um, and I couldn't understand why I'd been turned down in the first place, but I'd mm. actually won because um, I wasn't lying. And there's so many people that lie about having it. And yet I was really bad with it, like just kicking off with people every day. And I had it so bad that I didn't even want to go out in the car anymore, <laughs> getting angry with drivers and everything. That's how bad I was. So my medication mm. kind of just helps us a lot, really helps us. Yeah. So you have help around you now? Well, my mum lives about uh, 20 minutes. She lives like near Nottingham. So she's like 20 minutes from me. Um, so I'll be seeing her tomorrow. Uh, I've seen her today. And she rings us all the time. So I've got my mum. Um, but most of my family live in Newcastle, like my dad and uh, my sister lives in Hartlepool. Um, like my brother. He's he like lives with my mum, um, but that's it really. Most of like I say, most of my family are back back at home. So, but I've got a lot of supportive friends here in Alfreton, uh, where I live now, who have been. They like, one of them come to court with us when I went for Simon, and like her mum's a really good friend of mine as well. So they they are very very supportive. Yeah, like, they're brilliant. So I don't know what I would probably do have done without them, to tell you the truth, because I've always been there when I've needed to talk and when I've just wanted to kill myself or commit suicide. I've always like, don't you dare do that. But yeah, it's, it, it's been hard. And when I was getting loads of abuse about Simon being, oh, she probably just wants some money when she's selling stories to the paper because she hasn't got any drug money anymore, like things like that. And I, I got that upset with the Derby Telegraph. I wanted to take them that take the story down so they had to turn the comments off so that people couldn't comment and it just got so bad that I just wanted to take a load of pills and just end it all so I could be with Simon because they were that hurtful and it was awful oh she probably needs some money to get some plastic surgery on her face and just nasty nasty comments and the people that were saying it weren't even that nice themselves or like horrible like really horrible and ugly, do you know? Just normally the case though. So I just, um, like I said, it pushed us over the edge, and I wanted to just end my life because it doesn't matter what you if you retaliate, it just makes them worse anyway. So I couldn't even reply and say, "Oh, look, he's he's they checked his fingerprints weren't even on the drugs," but they were just they're still going to say it. people still do it now on the knife crime page. Oh, well, Joe Joe got accused of being a drug dealer uh, for his boxing club. He says, oh, what's funding that? He's drugs. But Joe's a successful Hollywood star. He's done films with Vinnie Jones and stuff. Why would mm-hmm. he be a drug dealer? And this is the this is the abuse that we get. Mm. It's absolutely it? awful. There's yeah. always people out there that are... I think because Joe, like Joe's that. his friend, because Joe's Simon's friend, they just basically just assume, don't they? Because Joe's done a lot for my family. They just think, oh, wait, Joe's Simon's best friend, and he was in the paper talking about Simon. So they just people just assume, oh, well, he must have been in on it as well. He's a drug dealer as well, but it's not the case at all. It just yeah. isn't. Joe, Joe doesn't even like drugs. Joe's never took, he doesn't even drink. He hates alcohol. He's never touched a drop of drink because he always likes to have his wits about him 
so he doesn't even like drugs. So Joe would never ever entertain drug deal and he wouldn't even take them. Well, Joe's you know? a class so, fighter as well. Yeah, yeah, class he was, fighter. but he had an he had an injury, didn't he? I think yeah. he had an injury and he had to stop stop fighting, yeah. Yeah. But he's a he's like a he's a gentle giant, isn't he? He's just um so kind and he'd do anything for anybody, really. He's he's amazing. Yeah, hopefully we'll do some more stuff in the future with all the knife crime with Joe. And he'll put on um I know Ben who runs the campaign, mm-hmm. the knife crime thing, he's wanting to put on a few boxing shows to raise money as well. So hopefully they'll turn out good. And um there's a few people sold some boxing stuff, you know, like boxing gloves, sign boxing gloves to raise money. So yeah, everybody's like kind of helping out and chipping in. He's got a lot of ambassadors as well who are like for different areas. So he's yeah, got I'm one in Coventry, yeah, Newcastle. So he's got them all over now, which is good. And it's got quite a lot of likes, hasn't it? The group. It's like I think it's yeah. about seven thousand now. Yeah, if not more. Well, he's do he's doing so well, and he's just he's just a, an electrician. That's all he is, and he just set up this this page because he's had a family member to do with who got injured to do an knife crime and I think that's what gave him the more the motivation to do it mm-hmm. in the first place. So yeah, he's do, he's done really well. We went to London on a knife campaign bus and we went round and handed out leaflets which was really, really good. And um even the police took some leaflets as well. So yeah. But a lot of people just said, why would I want to stop knife crime when I'm when I want knife crime to happen? And this guy who we tried to give a leaflet to, and I was just totally gobsmacked. I just thought, you what? You want people to get stabbed? And he was just like, yeah. And I, I said to my friend who was with us, Julie, I says he probably he's probably got a knife on him now, walking around at the minute with a knife on him. And it was just it was really scary to hear somebody saying that who who didn't have any any remorse for people getting killed or nothing. He just was like, I want it to happen. I love knife crime. And I was just like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. How much of it about? You know, there's a yeah. young lad young lad in Norwich near where I am um, just been murdered. Um, it's, 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 it's difficult and it's a quite a wide sort of, um, wide varied um crime but um you, you know uh, it's the the police don't deal with it very well um you know it should be you 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 carry a knife you automatically get time you yeah. use that when knife I, you get when, when i was a, when i was a kid we used to fight with our fists to to work out you know like when we had an argument that that was how we used to sort it out we used to fight one on one and we, I never ever heard of people carrying knives or weapons it just wasn't really a thing when I was a kid growing up it's all just about weapons now people mm. just feel like they've got some kind of power and and they're not they're just cowards that's all they are because but if the if somebody's carrying a knife in my eyes they're going to use it and I think that the they should go to prison for at least five years if they get caught with one. That's what mm. I, I think. And maybe if the if the courts were a little bit more, um, like instead of being so soft and more, um, instead of being lenient, 
then they would carry the knives in the first place. They'd be too scared to carry them if they knew they were going to get five year for getting caught with one. And it's just, this is a problem because the law in this country is shit. And it, oh. if Simon had been killed in America, they probably would never have got out. They would, mm. they would stay in prison for the rest of their lives. Yeah, there's, there's, there's too many people quick to carry, but there's always has been like people that carry the, the knives, uh, usually the ones that, uh, the, 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 the trappy ones. I mean, I've, I've been on the uh, wrong end of a knife a few times, um, and it's, it's, it's always been the, the ones that have um, had the reputation um, or tried to forge out a reputation, um, but not been able to do it with the fists um but i think it's just there's so many kids now carrying them um mm -hmm. they're so widely available um a couple of years ago i went to the fair with my kids um and we got a, a little um uh on the hooker duck we, we won a, a little cop set with um handcuffs and a gun and stuff like that and then it had this huge, great, long Rambo-style knife, mm -hmm. um, a plastic one. Um, and it was just, I couldn't even believe it. You, 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 you know, just the audacity of it. Um, yeah. You know, just to put it out in a, in, in a, a you know, even the tie would have hurt. It was sharp enough to hurt. Um, and I don't get how they can put out things like that you know i come mm. from a generation of cops and robbers and um cowboys and indians and, and stuff like that but um it's just such a, a, a different time now and it's scary you, you, you know um the yeah. kids carrying knives but knives don't see they seriously don't need to cut they do not need to have a point on them anyway like yeah you're not using the top of the knife, you're using the knife itself to cut things like carrots or whatever. You don't need the point on them. So why, what's the point in having it on there? That's what I don't get. And I know that, that they have changed them a little bit, but I don't think they'll ever bang them, will they? They'll never, they'll never get to that point. So it's just mm -hmm. annoying because we've got to, this is what we've got to deal with. I mean, in Birmingham, there's, there's knife and gun crime it's really bad for like gangs there and Nottingham's getting bad as well for knife crime it's just it's really heartbreaking like knowing that people are just going around killing people there was a lad in London just got stabbed it was on Ben's page apparently mm. didn't stand a chance because there was loads of them big gang so it's just yeah, it's hard. I mean, Simon, like, there was two against him, maybe two or three, so he didn't really stand a chance. Maybe if it was just one-on-one, -on -one, but apparently there was more than one, so he didn't he didn't really stand a chance neither. And the knife was the Rambo-style hunting knife, so you would never have... It must have been so deep when they've put the knife in the main artery of his leg. Um mm. There's, there's no way you would have been able to stop the bleeding unless somebody tied something around it. And Carl could have done that. He could have took his top off and done that. But because mm. he was just trying to save himself, he ran to the Toby down the bottom. And there's like a pub called, do you know where you go for food at the Toby? There was one of them at the bottom on the corner and he ran there and hid. 
completely just hid. And I just thought, God, if that was Simon's mates from Newcastle, they would never have run away and left him. They would have, like, seriously went to help him. They would never have run away because us Georgies aren't like that. We're kind of, like, hot-headed. We just don't care about the dangers. Like, if I'd been there, I probably would have went in there and and probably got myself killed, to be honest. But I got told off a, off a medium, Barry John, that because um, I believe in all that and I went to see one after Simon died and Simon come through and he said that he was set up and murdered he was set up to be killed and he also said that I would have been killed that night if I'd so when I got when I got ill that night I was meant to get ill because if I'd if I'd been alright I probably would have went back out as well with him mm. and Simon said I would, it would have been a double murder I would have been killed as well so it's, it's funny how things turn out. And Barry John also said that Simon got a gut feeling that something bad was going to happen when he was there. But he just didn't know. He didn't know what, but he just wished that he, he hadn't went, if you know what I mean. And his gut feeling turned out to be right because he ended up getting killed. So it's heartbreaking to think, to think that. His last moments, he must have been so, so terrified. And being on his own with strangers, trying to resuscitate him and not being a, having family there must have been hard as well for him. It's just, it's hard. I try not to think about it because, like I yeah. say, like, the 999 call was played in court and it was heartbreaking. Like having to, to hear that, listen to that. It was just... God, it was just hard. I can't even describe the pain that it was, and for his kids to have to listen to that as well, and his his family who were his brothers and his sister and his mum and dad having to listen to that. So, yeah, so his his mum he, he like his mum and dad have outlived him. They lost the son, the firstborn son. Yeah, and they were actually on holiday as well. The, the, they were away on holiday when Simon got murdered, so they didn't even know. And the police couldn't get in touch with them, and they, they didn't want anything going in the paper. They didn't want to read it, that their son had been murdered in the paper before hearing it themselves. So we waited before the papers printed anything and waited till we got in touch with them to tell them before anything got printed about them. So, yeah. They were absolutely devastated. Devastated. I can understand that. Yeah, he was such a hard-working guy as well. He worked, He had his own business. He was a high court enforcement officer. He worked 12-hour days. Um, he made good money, and he was because he was hard-working, and he didn't need to be a drug dealer. He had, he had a good livelihood, so Simon wouldn't have needed to earn an extra couple of grand doing drugs. So that's how I know for a fact he wasn't dealing, because I know how much money he made. And this is what's so annoying, that people can just have the audacity to to call him that when the police checked all the way through his finances. They knew that Simon had an accountant and how much money he was earning, so they knew that he wasn't a drug dealer anyway. Mm. There's, yeah. there's always people that will try and um, justify their 
their, 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 their lives with comments like that. They will always try to um, tear things down that they don't understand. Um, it's a senseless crime to lose someone to um, something that violent. Um, mm. And I, I think that, you know, I'm not condoning it, but a lot of people don't understand and they're, uh, they're afraid of what they don't understand, which is why they come out with the toxic comments because it's their way of kind of dealing with it. Whereas we have a different way of dealing with it. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've lost people to, to knife crime. Um, you know, I, I lost a, a good friend um, mm -hmm. when I was made homeless and uh, he, he showed me how to survive um, and he was murdered um, by, a, by a drug dealer um, in, uh, to do with county lines. Um, Stephen Stannard, his name was, and um, you know, there was people then that were like, Oh, well, he was homeless, and you know, he was a drug addict, and trying to you know, drag him down for them yeah. to explain the severity of that crime to themselves. But at the end of the day, it's it, it wasn't down to Stephen, and it, it wasn't out of Simon at the end of the day, it was down to the people that carried the knives. Um, because if you're going to carry a knife, you're going to use it. Mm -hmm, um, definitely. You know. Uh, they were saying stuff like about Simon, like the haters, like that's another drug dealer off the streets. We're glad he's dead and all this. And that was really, that really hurt that. I just wanted to just kill him with my bare hands, just thinking, how dare you say that? He died the most violent death that have to suffer, to bleed to death. And then they had the nerve to say that he deserved to die. It was just heartbreaking to just see how people can be so vile and nasty when knowing that I was grieving as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, I had people saying I was having an affair. Um, I took all the stuff out of the house and never give his kids anything, which was all lies, because I'd, I'd give his son and daughter loads of stuff. I've still got stuff in the house belonging to Simon that I'm giving his daughter. We're having a sort through this year mm. after this virus is sorted out and I'm going to give her some more of her dad's stuff. So that's just, that's how evil people are. They think that they can just assume, how do they know anything about us? Like they don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but they just assume, saying mm. nasty things. So yeah, it's, it's very, it's very hard having to deal with it with people's hate and everything, it's just awful. But I just block them. I don't reply, I just block them. I find it easier not to reply because then it just, that's what they want. They want you to reply. It's trolls. I mean, I'm, I'm still learning how to deal with them, to be honest. <laughs> I used to deal with them like that and <laughs> you can't do that anymore. But, um, you know, th there are people out there that will make it their business to sit behind a keyboard and say all these things that, you know, really tear your heart out, to be honest. But um, I think over the past sort of year, I've learned that there are so many people that, that do that. You've just got to push that to one side because, you know, that's toxicity. Um, and, you, you know, 
as survivors, um, we don't have room for toxicity. We can only really sort of push encouragement and, and, and positivity, but there's, there's so much toxicity out there, especially yeah. around knife crime and, you know. Um, well, I, I got a caution off the police um, last year. It was like, I think it was like in September time. And Carl's wife was saying things. She was one of the people that was saying I'd never give Simon's kids any things. This, this was the one that said Simon had only had a scratch when he got stabbed, the right. idiot. She brought my daughter to the hospital that night as well, and the police were mortified. They just were like, why are you bringing a 13-year-old to and telling her that her dad's been stabbed, which was just, the police told her to take Nikki away to her friend's house because they didn't want Nikki to see that because it was too no. upsetting for her. But this Kelly, like I say, was saying nasty things to us. I retaliated and I sent her a message saying, you're nothing but a... A nasty bitch. Yes, your your husband forged my partner's signature, and I also said that a family were murdering scumbags because that uncle's in prison for killing. Can you remember the house fire in Derby when the the kids got killed in the house fire for the to get a bigger house? Um, not Mick. Um... Yeah, that's her uncle Kelly's. That's Kelly's. That's Carl's Third wife's. Part or whatever. Yeah, that's that's Kelly's uncle, which is Carl's wife's uncle. And when I said our family were murdering scumbags, I ended up getting done off the police for for like nasty messages and stuff. And I just think to myself, but she didn't get done for distressing me out. It was just me that got got into trouble for it, and it really annoyed us because I just thought they were allowed to say what they want. But when I do it, to try to defend myself, I end up getting a caution for it. So I think. That what certain people like us, you know, survivors, those who um, are going through survivorship, I think we have to. Um, there's, there's so many people that are saying, you know, there needs to be a change. Um, mm -hmm. We're the people that need to implement that change, and to do that, we need to hold ourselves higher um, above other people and we need to just sort of refrain from um, you know as hard as it is uh, from getting into this and that with other people and we need to just lead by example um, mm -hmm. and, and, and show love and not you, you know um, understanding uh, to other yeah. people, we 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 might not understand it ourselves, but at the end of the day, we we have to be seen to be stronger. Well, my mum said she probably did it on purpose to try and get you into trouble. You probably you fell right for it by retaliating. She's obviously done it to try and get you into trouble because she knew her husband was in prison, and she couldn't stand the fact that her husband was in prison and that we were just getting on with our lives. So she's just tried to get me into trouble. So that's that's she. She even told the police I'd phoned her up, threatening her and stuff. And I never, I never made any calls to her. And I said to the police, "You can check my phone because I never rang her. I never rang her once." She was, she was also a liar, a compulsive liar as well. So yeah, she's she's very, very, very nasty. Um, and so is her husband. I think well, yeah, and I understand that, you know, and I understand. 
you know, um, th there are things in my life that I've had to um, just put to the side. It's kind of, I've, I've lost a lot of people, um, you know, um, especially over the past few years on a few to murder, I've lost family to murder. And it's a hard thing to palate. It's a hard thing to go through, and, you know, it either makes you or breaks you. Mm -hmm. And the biggest part for me was unforgiveness um, because um, I could not forgive these people that, 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 that took um, my friends and family away from me. But mm -hmm. that was affecting me um, because what unforgiveness is, is it's, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, um, who, if, if you're hating someone, who is it affecting? Is it affecting you or is it affecting them? Um, yeah. And it was affecting me. Uh, so I, you know, I can't really forgive them, but I can kind of love them enough to keep them away and love myself enough mm -hmm. to... Um, Sort of forgive myself for things that that, that I could have done, should have done, would have done. I, you know, yeah. I, I I would. I'd, I'd suggest that to anybody that's going through this. Really, it's not easy. It's not easy, and I know that you've got a lot of hate and you've got a lot of, you know, hurt, and that takes time. And I, I mean, it's only been nine months. Um. You know. Um, and for you to be doing this at uh, uh, nine months oh, is amazing. It's not nine months. It's two, it'll be two years in April. Oh, two years, sorry. Yeah, it's two yeah. years in April. Obviously, if it had been nine months, I would have probably been yeah. crying and stuff. But obviously, mm. because it's all kind of sunk in now and in... Mm. I've become a stronger person and everything. And I like the fact that I'm helping people. If it if it was just nine months, I would, like I say, I would... Yeah. I would have, I probably wouldn't be doing this interview now. I don't think I would yeah. have been ready. Year and nine months. Do yeah. apologize. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, be, it's still not be... that long though, is it really? Um yeah. It doesn't feel like it's two years to be honest. It's 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 actually flown by. Um I just kind of believe he's been gone for two years coming up. It's just unbelievable. It's kind of shocked me. It doesn't it just feels like a year to me. It doesn't feel like two. Yeah. Well, mm. I just think to myself, they're getting out. I'm, they'll be getting out on parole one day, and but they've got to serve a sentence before they do. They can go on and live, live the life same, and can't ever live his life again, can no. he? Because they've took him away from us, and they shouldn't be allowed to walk free. They should should never get out of jail. But Kirk Guy will be about in his sixties by the time he gets out, so he's going to be an old man anyway. He's not going to really mm. be able to be in a gang anymore, be a drug dealer, is he? So. No, he'll be thinking no. his pension by then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people. What gets to me is that people think about the victim, and people think about the murderer, but they don't think about the family, and the friends, and the partners, and the children um, that it affects. It affects so many people. You know, um, 
I'm sorry, we've lost her. Um, we'll try and get her back. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've got, I've got, um, I've got a hair. I'm going to try and get her back on. Um, um, yeah, it's nerve crime is so difficult. Um, and to lose somebody to murder is, is so difficult. Um, we, when, when you lose someone like that, it, it, it's like a part of you dies. It, it, it takes a, a part of your soul. And, and, and we as the, the family and friends, uh, the you know it's 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 so hard um and for Chantel um to be uh doing this um is just absolutely amazing um you know uh I'm not sure I could have done it um you know that 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 near to it happening, it's um, it, it it's certainly a thing that you know I've had to build myself up to be able to deal with some of the things that that I've dealt with, um, you know, and some of the um, feelings that it's it's brought up for me, um, you know, and to do that. For anybody is 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 amazing. Um, I've had to do it sober, which is is something that I never really had, um, you know. And and it's it's something that's, that's still quite new over the past six or seven years. Um, and the you know the the best thing about getting clean and sober is your feelings come back, and the worst thing is your feelings come back. Um, you know, people like Chantel are the reason why I um, started uh, doing podcasts like this because I wanted um, you guys to hear from the points of view of um, people uh, like Chantel and, um, you know, Ben, who was on um, last year. Um, it's not easy um, at all. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we've got Chantel back just... Give us a second. Just connecting to audio again. Um, we had a bit of problems with this earlier on, um, so I do apologise. Um, Sorry about go. that. My mum, my mum kind. She just rang, and I've just told her don't ring us because I'm in the middle of doing a, um, an interview. <laughs> that's so she that's just all told, right. She wasn't a no. She didn't know that I was. I should have told her really. That's, that's all right. Yeah. That's all right. I hope I haven't ruined the video. Are we no. back live again? Yeah, we're back live again. I was just explaining that um, for anybody to deal with this as, as a person, it, it's um, it's difficult. Um, 
you know, uh, personally in my own story, um, I used drugs for so long that it kind of numbed me as a person. And the things that I've gone through over the past six or seven years, um, that I've been sober coming up, coming up to seven years in June, um, it's it's been quite a, a a difficult process, but yes. it's helped me find me. Um, mm-hmm. I've gone through some real loss um, in, in in sobriety, but you know I've had some good gains. You know I've I've, I've you know been involved with film and I've, I've done the books and you know I've started this. But the reason I started this podcast was to give people like you a, a a platform and a, a chance to be able to stand up there and tell your stories mm-hmm. you know um i kind of lost where we were but i think you were saying about um uh we were talking about sort of dealing with it um yeah, uh, yeah. are you are you in sort of mental with the mental health there's like the like the wait to wait the like the wait till it sinks in first before like you go on a waiting list. So they normally like wait about a year and a bit. So um because I've been so down and everything, I still I didn't let it sink in for a while, but I'm on like a waiting list now to see to see a counsellor. Um but obviously because of the virus as well, it's it's just hard, isn't it, to see somebody face to face because nobody's mm. kind of seen anybody. You can't even get an appointment in the doctors unless it's an emergency because I'm not seeing anybody face to face so it's like you and the dentist it's like you can't do anything can you at the minute it's just no I was at the dentist yesterday it's a nightmare it's a nightmare you have to wait outside and then it's kind of like it's kind of like clandestine you have to put your mask on and then the drag you in and it's with the vet you've got to if you're taking your dog or your cat the vet because I've got both dogs and cats um and they're going to get an injection or whatever, you've got to take them to the back and mm. they've got to open the fire exit to take your dog. You can't even go in. So that's what I would I, I actually got told. That was the first lockdown um, when they weren't letting anybody kind of come inside. Um, you had to take a pet to the back door. Mm. So it was like stupid, really. Yeah, well, you're not even allowed to go in the room now, even when it's not locked down. Used to be allowed to go in the room with your pet, but you're not allowed now. You've got to wait outside. It's a different yeah. world. Well, our pet would be in distress, though. You know, like going in on their own, not having their owner with them. Um, so it must be quite, quite hard for them. Yeah, it's a different world. We're certainly in a different world, and it's gonna, gonna last for a while, I think. Um, but one thing that I sort of champion is, is um, you know, taking care of your mental health and, and sharing with people. Yeah. And I had a friend who killed herself in the last lockdown and her 15-year-old son found her, so it affected her really badly because she turned to drugs um, in the lockdown um, and she was addicted to cocaine, I think it was, and she was working in a gym and because she lost her job, she ended up taking her life. Um, she just turned 40 um, beautiful looking girl and just I soon ended up fine now which is so um, selfish mm. to, to kill yourself and then for your child to find you like what what the hell is that going to do to her kid now it's, it's going to be with him for the rest of his life finding his mum dead it's 
So yeah, that this is why I won't do it because of Nikki, because I just think it's a selfish way out. Um and I just couldn't do that do because she's been through so much losing her dad. I don't think I think it would push her over the edge if she lost me as well. I think we all deal with it differently. I mean I've 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 you know, I've been through uh, I've attempted suicide several times and you know um we can't always think about the selfishness. It's not, not sort of, it, it's mm-hmm. not there. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. click with us. Um, it's it's difficult. It's a difficult one. I got told of off a doctor. It's normal though. It, it's actually normal to have suicidal thoughts after losing losing somebody to murder because it's just the. It, it, they said we would think that it was strange if you didn't have thoughts like that. So they mm. said it was natural for us to feel like that. Mm. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it's it's been very hard. Like I say, um, loads of times where I've had to stop myself and thought about who would suffer if I did take my life, and the fact that my mum would be devastated, and my family, and my daughter, and my because I've got a son as well who turns eighteen, um, on the twenty third of January. So it just it just wouldn't he lives with his dad he doesn't live with me mm. but but yeah it's like i couldn't do that and my children could, i just couldn't do it like i see it's just it's just not it's not nice and it's just not clever and so mm-hmm. very like i say very selfish to, to do it when you've got kids so yeah yeah i just i, I don't you know like i say i don't think that selfishness for, for when we're in that sort of spot I, I don't think it, it doesn't come in you, you know um I've got kids I've, I've, I've got family and it's not mm-hmm. something that that has ever really sat there because when those feelings get yeah get so hard it gets so hard uh, you know um and it's it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so difficult to deal with. I've, had, I've had somebody say to me, though, that I was selfish when I said I was going to kill myself on Facebook. I, I had a guy messages, how can you be so selfish when you've got children? And he made me sit and then I thought to myself, he's made me feel like this now, that that's, he's right, I am selfish, because how could I do, even think about contemplating doing that when I've got my kids to think about? But the fact my daughter needs us, she's only 15, and she, what, what would she do? She couldn't look after herself. She'd have to go in, into care because she wouldn't have anybody else. Yeah, I mean, that I can understand, you know. I mean, I, um, I've got a 15-year-old boy coming, coming up 15 anyway, and, you know, other kids that are teenagers and younger mm-hmm. kids. Um, but... You know, I'm in a place, I'm in a good place at the minute, but I'm not going to say it doesn't get dark at times because it does. Um, you know, that's the way that poor mental health works. It, it attacks you at your very mm-hmm. core, it attacks you at, you at your very soul. It's not just a, yeah. a mental it illness. Help, it's it, a, it doesn't help with the lockdown either. It's, um, there's a, no. lot of my, a lot of my film projects have been put on hold and it's just okay. so annoying. Um, last year I was supposed to do some films and, and then again in January but obviously then we got put in lockdown again and I didn't think it would be another year another, I didn't think 2021 we were going to be in lockdown again and it's just really starting to annoy us now to tell you the truth that we can't just 
live normal lives and get on with doing stuff like going on holiday and, and having fun and being able to go into a bar there's no social life anymore is there no i mean you know i'm not a great one for going out anyway to be honest i i don't drink you know i don't go out drinking or anything um so you know i mean i i, I potter about i do what i need to do i go out if i need to go out i go do the shopping and that but um you know, the first lockdown was hard um, mm-hmm. because there's it was almost so much that you can do. Because mm-hmm. there is, I mean, there's 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 phones and computers and Netflix and Disney Plus and there's, there's so you know so much that you can put your head in and, and it gets stifling. So then you just don't do anything. You end up sitting watching mind-numbing telly for hours on end. Um, and you become lazy. You be, you do. You become lazy, lying in bed, watching telly all day, and that's that's how I feel. Because it's just you can't go anywhere or do anything. I mean, you can't travel, so I can't even go and visit my family. I can't mm. go and visit my friends. I can't do anything really. And I I would like to be able to go out for a meal, like in a restaurant, just go and sit and have a nice Italians or something. But but we can't because because I'm not a drinker myself. I don't really drink that much. But I like, I do like to go out for the odd meal. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I, I suppose everybody else is probably thinking that as well. Probably so annoyed about it. Mm-hmm. So it would be nice to just go out for a carvery on a Sunday with my mum and my daughter. And but I can't, I can't do that anymore. And I used to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's pretty annoying. Like, <laughs> yeah. And the fact that I used to go to Newcastle and visit my family and my friends, and I can't even do that because of the risk of getting a two hundred pound fine. So it's like it's just a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. Yeah. So what's what's next for you then? I'm doing it. Um, uh, I've got to do a self tape for this new TV series. Um, so the, the guy who's doing it is going to send me the script. So I'm hoping that I'm going to get myself a role in that. Um, and then I'm doing a horror for the multi-award winning film director, Patrick Ryder. Um, yeah. And just hopefully there's other projects I've been asked to do. Um I've been talking to a director from Manchester who's just finished a film and he said he'd love love us to be in his next films. Um, I'm doing a film called Survivor and I'm hopefully um, doing a film about Simon, you know, like about knife crime, like a drama um, Mm. and just relive that night when Simon got killed and get somebody to play him, but put it into like a film kind of drama um, and then like me being it as well but to get somebody that looks like Simon as well. So I'm, I've am i been and talked to the director about writing that. So, yeah, I've got a lot to, lot to look forward to. And I, I'm actually training to be a stunt fighter. But nice. Obviously, I can't I can't do that at the minute because of the lockdown. So, every, like I say, everything's on hold and it's just an absolute nightmare. So, and then my car got stolen um, a couple of weeks ago. So that didn't help. Just after the new year, my car gets stolen. Had a Peugeot RC's edge, make a nice little sports car, get stolen. Um, 
and I had left it at my mates for a couple of days because I've been to hers for a drink because mm. I was feeling down on the Sunday. And then I, I, I said to myself, oh, I'll just go and get the car because I was feeling a bit hungover the next day. Mm. I go and get the car uh, on the Tuesday and I went down about, uh, it must have been around about quarter to six. Got my friend to take us down and it was gone. So I phoned the police, still hasn't been found, and I've just got a hire car at the minute until my insurance company pays mm. out. So now I've got it in lockdown. I've got to go and hunt for a new car. None of the garages are open, so that does not help. Mm. So, yeah, no. it's it's just everything just seems to be going wrong. Um, and I'm normally a positive person, but just because I, because of the lockdown, I just feel down, like I've got no motivation anymore. Mm. So this is this is uh, before I could keep busy with my films and do stuff, but at the minute you, you can't do anything, can we? And it is becoming very depressing, definitely. And I, I bet you there's loads of people that think the same thing. I bet there's loads of people on Facebook that probably feel exactly the same way as me. And if they, they say that they're not, they're lying because it must be doing people's heads in. It's enough to yeah. send you insane from being somebody that travels around the country like I do to be being stuck indoors. I'm just I, I'm just not used to it. I suffer anxiety and everything, stuff like that. And it's getting to the stage now where I feel like I can't breathe being in this house. No. no. My, my life of fun at the minute is going shopping for me weekly food shop in the supermarket. <laughs> and that's what I've got to look forward to. Mm. Where are you going today? I'm just going to pop the Asda, or maybe I might go to Tesco this week. Do you know what I mean? For, yeah. for a change of scenery. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's what it's like. Just a, yeah. an absolute joke. We'll get by without, you know, we always do. We'll, we'll, we'll get by. It'll, it'll, I well, think it'll start easing off yeah. in the next few months. I'll just be like, I like to be able to do the stuff for the knife crime and be able to get started with Ben and doing little projects to do with the knife crime. And, but we can't, like I say, we can't do anything at the minute with this lockdown. So no. as soon as that's, that's lifted and everything goes back to normal, we'll be doing all these, these boxing mm. shows. Yeah. Ben said he was very proud of us for doing this interview. Um, We're all proud of you. Really happy. Yeah, yeah. You've done absolutely fantastic. You know, um, that's the one thing that I wanted your story to do was show the actual real side of crime. You know, I, I speak about crime a lot from being an ex-criminal and I've spoken to people that have, you know, that, that have been on the opposite end of crime. But actually you are the one that's that's in between. Um, and I think that, you, um, you, you know, it's, it's stories like yours that are, are pushed to the sides. Um, mm -hmm. which, which is exactly why I wanted to get you well, on. Well, the killer's mum, um, John Williams' mum, had posted on his her son's wall saying um, she was so proud of her son. My son, John Williams, I'm so proud to be his mum. And the, 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 the type of family that turned up in court, like something out of shameless in tracksuits. We were all like and suited up mm. and booted and everything, all like dead posh and looking very smart. And they turn up with greasy hair and tracksuits on and it was just God, it was horrible. Just they were just pure scumbags. And it made us realise that when you look at the family, it's no wonder their sons turned out the way they did. 
just seeing the family just sees it all really the fact that the own mother is proud that her son's a killer how can you be proud i would disown my son if he murdered somebody in cold blood like that i, I just wouldn't i wouldn't be happy at all no no um I, I, I do accept that we all do with um do with things like that differently um you know it's certainly not the way that that i would do with it i'd like to think that I'd, I'd stick by my children no matter what but you know um at the end of the day they're my children but just because you stick by your children doesn't mean that you'd condone behavior like I that i think the whole the hope that they were going to walk free i think that's what the family hope that's what they had it so they, they were so deluded that they actually thought that their sons would walk free and the killer blamed the driver of the car said that it was him that killed simon just to get himself just so he didn't get done for murder blamed his own friend and said try to set his own friend up to see that he had killed him no that's not a friend that that's just vile it's just disgusting to do that your own friend but he got found the judge seen with the the, the the um derby telegraph actually said they were very the killer was a very low intelligence like they were taking the piss out of him saying he was thick as pig shit and all that stuff mm. <laughs> and the word obviously were thick to be to do that in the first place they hid the knife in a fish tank in a fish tank and the police found it so yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I, I don't think that, um, I don't know what would have been going, yeah, I tried to empathise with everybody from all sides, um, I don't know what would have been going through any of their minds, but to, to stab someone is... Yeah, no, it, it takes a special kind of person in my eyes to do that. I'd love to, to be. I'd love to be able to get in the mind of a killer to see what goes on in the head. To tell you the truth, um, you know, when you get in the mind of a serial killer, you see these programs on telly. But to be able to know what goes on in the last moments of putting the knife in somebody, like what are the what's going through the head? Is it some ever, kind uh, of, is it that adrenaline where they're, they're just like getting themselves all worked up and they, they become like a psycho, a psycho killer? Like mm -hmm. I have to stab somebody and get that excited about it because there's people who think it's a good thing to do things like that, that actually mm. get a buzz off it. And then there's people who don't mean to do it. But like I say, if he's went out with a Rambo-style hunting knife, that may see says he was going to use it. It wasn't just an ordinary kitchen yeah, knife. Yeah, no. It no. was a hunting knife, so he obviously carried it around with him, which is just, it's just, it just doesn't bear thinking about just what, what Simon must have went through, having that plunged into his legs. Mm. Just... Oh, I mean, you know yourself, if you cut your finger, it just pours the blood. Imagine how much blood he... He must have lost. Oh, I've been on the end of a knife. It's not nice. It hurts. Um, you know, um, and that 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 was in the chest. Um, so I I can only imagine what it was was like. I, yeah, I wouldn't want to 
But, you know, all we can do really is try and highlight, you know, uh, as ambassadors, you know, I'm the ambassador for the East of England for Ben. And, um, you know, I think we can only just, we can only highlight things like this. We can highlight how it affects us as people, um, mm -hmm. how it affects us as, as family. Um, but we can also highlight what needs to be done and there needs to be some serious reform um, mm -hmm. in the law about knives. You know, uh, I know that the uh, knife a month thing that was going on where people could subscription thing, I, I think that's now been banned in England. So that's it. That's just, uh, the you know, going I the think right it would way. be educational as well, because I, I've said to to my friend that when everything goes back to normal, because at the minute it's hard to be able to write a, to the to send an email to the schools around the area and just like where I live in the prisons and do talks about knife crime and the effects mm. of knife crime because I've been through it and just tell them this is what will happen you end up in prison if you carry a knife you lose you could lose somebody in the pain that you go through and I'd love to tell my story so it would stop somebody from if it means that it's, I'm going to save at least a couple of lives by doing that I would love to be able to do talks around mm. the country and do that so hopefully, eventually, Ben will do. Ben will do that and send emails out to do some talks and stuff. So, but that's my next yeah, step. Yeah. That's that is my next step to just um, send them the thing that I'm an ambassador for for Bet Change of Life. Mm. And because uh, I've got like a little, he's done like a little leaflet with me on it, um, mm. and send that to them and just say yeah, I do this. Um, I would love to do talks. To all the, the children and just tell them how bad knife crime is so that's that's my next step that's what mm -hmm. i want to do next is to to just help try and prevent it that's so, recommendable yeah. definitely that's recommendable i mean even you could do that in your area um as well because i think it needs to be done really yeah that's the yeah. That's steps is is going to prisons and schools and talking to people. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been fortunate to um, go into the local college and talk about my life as it was um, to be able to educate through friends of mine. Um, this is a a step that I'm hoping to take. I have in the past gone into schools and spoke about addiction and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I th you know I, I think that um, we're in a position now where we need to be able to educate. Um, even this is a point where we're you know educating people. Definitely. Um, Definitely. Because you know having been there, done you know been there, done that you know it's it's li living through the trauma and and, and the stress. Um, I think that being a survivor. Um, the next inherent step is to become a thriver from victim to survivor, survivor to thriver. And to yeah. do that, I think that we need to educate. So, you know, I, I, I do commend you for wanting to do that. I, I actually worry when my daughter, like, obviously she doesn't go out much with the lockdown, but when she does go out with her friends, I worry all the time, like, what she getting up to? And like she said herself that she was in Belba 
and there were some lads from another village and they were carrying knives and they were, they were like 15, 16 year olds. And they said that they were after a friend, Jack, and we thought I was worried that they were going to stab him. She shouldn't have to worry about things like that, though, Worry about if somebody's going to stab a friend and stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just it's just frightening that you can't go anywhere these days without somebody pulling a knife out on you mm. to steal your car, somebody pulling a knife out on you to mug you. That's what it's like now. It's just all violence. Mm. So, I mean, they do that, don't they? Even road rage, they pull a knife out. I've, I've heard about somebody getting out of the car. One of Joe's friends got out of the car and says, do you mind not tailgating us? And the guy pulled a bloody massive big knife out on him when he says he just went F off and then showed him this knife. So Joe's friend was like a bit taken aback. Mm. He's just like ran back in his car and thought I'm not getting stabbed. But yeah, if that was me, I would have phoned the police and said, just took his wedge and said, oh, he's got a knife in his hand. If that was me. We live in a different time. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the, the 80s. Um, and it was a different time. You know, um, people dealt with things differently. Um, crime was different. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how people, even how criminals thought was different. But it's a different sort of criminal these days and it, it's a younger sort, you know, um, and the amount of kids in schools carrying knives and things like that. I do yeah. think that schools need to be tackling it as well. Oh, definitely, know. definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, because there's, like, there's kids as young as 10 and 11 carrying knives these days, so it needs to be, it needs to be talked about a lot in schools now, I think. Definitely needs to be highlighted big time so people know the dangers of it because I think they just think they're clever carrying a knife. They don't, I don't think they realize the consequences of what will happen if they use it. They probably mm. don't know that they're going to go to prison when they're just a kid, but they'd go, they'd go to a young offender's place, wouldn't they? At the end of the day, yeah, I, I do think kids know more than they're given credit for. Um, you know, I just think that some just don't actually care, unfortunately. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 sort of it's an unprecedented time, and I think that we have to, um, you know. This is the other one, Cleo. <laughs> this is the little girl. You can tell she's a girl, can't you? Yeah. She's like, will you leave me alone? I just want to go <laughs> to sleep. Oh, are you tired? Are you feeling drowsy? <laughs> yeah, they get very tired because they're just little dogs, you see. They're, they're Maltese terriers, so I've got the mother, the son and the daughter. So nice. yeah, ended up keeping the puppies from the mother. Fell in love with them. But they've helped us a great deal since Simon died. They've, like, they've been there for us. And I know it sounds mm. crazy, but They've never left me say they follow us everywhere to give us lots of cuddles and like i don't know how i would have got through it without them just having all that love and attention of them yeah so but have, having having them there with us has just really helped us cope and mm. get through it so yeah yeah if i hadn't had them i probably would have been still down now but the makers yeah. wake up every day just knowing I've got them. Mm. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, um, what I'll do, um, I want to thank you for coming on um, and being open and honest. Um, it's certainly been an eye opener for me. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, end the live now and then we'll just have a quick chat and then I'll let you go. Um, right, no problem. Thanks, guys, for watching, as always. Um, I'll put the link to uh, uh, Change Your Life, Put Down Your Knife uh, in the um, comments down there. Um, and if anybody has been affected by anything, um, do send the, um, that, that we've spoken to, do, do send an email to the page um, and we'll try and get you uh, any help that we can. Um, yeah, thanks guys. I shall see you again soon. Um, and thanks uh, as always for tuning in.